Hey guys, you're listening to She's Obsessed, the podcast. And as you may or may not know, I've had the courage to add men to the lineup of interviewees or co-hosts or guests on the podcast. And honestly, this episode, if I do say so myself, is absolute fire. I'm talking to Maz Manima of Translate Culture. Maz is an absolute genius when it comes to using data and culture to drive sales, conversions, referrals and retention. Honestly, if you're driving, I would say save this for later when you have a notebook or play it and then replay it later when you can take notes because honestly, this information is so, so useful. Maz and I speak about examples of brands who have tapped into culture really, really well. The fact that culture can never be bought. What Drake done, what he calls the Drake effect for the O2 network and the initial investment they made in real estate with the O2 arena and the impact that has had on our culture. Tanning of America and how this is one of the most transformational books that I've read this year, recommended to me by Maz. And the fact that we should all be using Google Analytics and Facebook Pixels as a starting point to measure and use data in our businesses. I'm really excited to share this information with you guys, to share this conversation with you guys. And as you may or may not know, Maz will be there at our pop-up shop on the 24th of November, 6.30pm on the panel Built by the Culture. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey Maz. Hiya, how you doing? Good. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Nice. Um, as you may know, you're one of the first males to be on the podcast because it was females only. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like we have so many great discussions, so many great conversations, and you've taught me so much that I think it's only fair that I pay it forward and share Thank you. with um, my audience. So first things first, I'll allow you to introduce yourself, your background professionally, and what you're working on at the moment. Sure. Um, so my name is Masibu Manima. Um, I'm essentially a, a digital marketing data professional. Um, what I do is I, I help businesses effectively leverage um, data and culture to affect, to make more um, tailored decisions around, around a business. So um, my, my, my thesis is that data is only half the story, right? So mm-hmm. you can look at numbers, you can see trends, but you, it's all about understanding people. Um, mm-hmm. And culture seems to be the, the, the second half of, of that that wider picture. So um, I've worked in um, various different companies, started my career working in companies such as Nissan. Um, but during that period, I was able to start a few startups, such as Mixtape Bandits and Brothers of No Game. Um, I then went on to do a data role at the British Medical Journal. But over that period, I've kind of helped a lot of startups start to leverage data and start to leverage culture in terms of how they can you know, become a bit more effective in their marketing. Um, and since then, I've decided to start an agency called Translate Culture, which effectively helps businesses leverage data and culture in their marketing campaigns. Brilliant. So when we talk about data on a very basic level, what is data? Because it can sound quite specialized sure. and quite isolated. So what is data um, at a very basic level? Um, data, I sort of explain it like um, data is like breadcrumbs, right? So like they're, they're little clues of activities um, or, or metrics or things that happen potentially digitally. Digitally is probably a good place to explain it. So if somebody comes into your website, their activities are logged. So you can then um, group that that information to say, you know, 10,000 people came onto your website. So that's like a basic understanding of, of what data is. Um, but then to make that into information is then about, okay, what does that actually mean in terms of 10,000 people came and they did what, right? 
And then you start to turn it into insight. It's like, okay, they came in, they did this. And then you start to hypothesize and start thinking, okay, is that effectively what we've wanted those people to do? Um, and then from that, you can then start to make decisions and be able to essentially create value for your customers by knowing a bit more about them. Um, mm-hmm. But in a simpler way to, to basically explain it, data is about measuring activity um, one way or the other using numbers. Mm-hmm. And you said something very key. You said that you can't look at data without looking at culture. Yeah. Can you explain that a bit more? So, yeah. So what I, what I kind of, the way I sort of look at it is um, particularly some of the organizations that I work with, mm-hmm. um, you know, people will come and say, well, we've noticed this trend or we've noticed this thing has spiked or whatever. Um, usually what you'd find is the answer is in actually knowing the people that are creating that activity. So, for example, you might find that um, in a particular season, there's a particular spike for people searching for um, protective styles, right? To someone like me or to another brand, they may not necessarily understand what that means. But to a black woman, she'll probably know, yes, it's winter, I need to protect my hair and so forth. Um, And the reason why I think culture is so important, particularly in our community, is that we have context to those, to those, to, you know, to those metrics and those trends. Um, and I think that's the unfair advantage that we have. And the missing piece is being able to tie that back to data. Um, because I, I always use a famous quote from, um, I think he's the CEO of, of Rock Nation. I think Comer his name, but, um, he says culture is not for sale. Mm-hmm. As in, if you have it, you, then you don't need to buy it. And I think effectively we have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, people maybe outside of our culture are really good at is understanding and being able to extract value from that culture. Mm-hmm. And they do that by data, right? They think a bit from a, from a business perspective of, you know, this trend can make us money because we're noticing this. We don't necessarily have to understand the why, but we can, we can definitely monetize it. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, it's really important to be able to also have that second half of the, of, of the narrative. So then we can make, you know, we can monetize our own culture without having to, you know, to effectively have to rely on, on people who maybe don't care about it. Um, and I think the reason I, I like that quote that you, you, you can't buy a culture is that, like I said, if you have it, you don't need to buy it. And if people are trying to tap into it for commercial benefit, they have to be able to pay you a fair price. And if you have a good understanding of the data, then you have a good understanding of actually what your culture is worth. And it puts you in a much better stand when you're communicating or negotiating with, with partners and vice versa. Mm -hmm. I think that's so, so key because so often we see brands adopt and borrow elements of a culture. Sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes they get it right. But then there's always a sour taste left in the mouths of those who are actually from the culture because Mm -hmm. they're like, you literally just co-opted everything that we stand for and everything that we're born into. So what are some good examples of brands that use culture really well and really authentically? And as a follow-up question to that, how can we make sure that we commercialize our own culture and we leverage it ourselves rather than waiting for a big corporation to borrow it and pay us like a couple of hundred to use it? Yeah, sure. Um, that's a really good question. Um, there, there's a number of examples out there. I think if we think about from a, from a, from a, a grander scale, mm-hmm. um, a brand that's kind of leveraged culture. And I think it depends. It's kind of divided in terms of whether they've added value or they've just extracted value. So you can imagine a brand like Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, Nike really tapped into their investment in Michael Jordan was beyond just him mm-hmm. being an amazing basketball player. 
they could effectively see that he was an icon in the community, right? Like every kid wanted to be Michael Jordan, you know? And the legacy of that continues to this day. Because you've got to think about it this way, right? Jay-Z's, the Nas, all of these amazing artists um, effectively wanted to be like Mike. And they put in their music that narrative of Jordans and so forth. And what happens there is that um, the association between them as successful characters in our community to the Jordan brand lasts longer than when Jordan's kind of passed away, you know, passed away in terms of well, passed away, but you know, his career is, is effectively uh, finished. Another example of it is DO2, right? So DO2 versus say EE and, and various different um, uh, mobile phone providers, while EE and, and, and Orange sort of merged um, in order to gain more market share in Britain and, and in Europe, what O2 was able to do was actually to invest in culture by investing in the O2, the venue that we, we know about, right? Um, so effectively, they were investing in people's lives, right? Music is a huge part of people's lives. They couldn't foresee that 10 to 15 years down the line that Drake will have them mentioned on God's plan, you know, the lyric, um, mm-hmm. turn the O2 to O3, right? Mm-hmm. That song in 2017 was the most streamed song in the world, right? I haven't even done the numbers, but you could imagine the media impressions yeah. that would be like hundred years from now, people would, that's embedded in like in, in, in pop culture. Right? Mm-hmm. So those are brands who I think maybe, you know, not been known to them at the time. Yeah. Chose to invest in people's lives mm-hmm. because I mean, what, what's a, what's a mobile company got to do with, 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 you know, with venues or music? not really much of affinity there, but mm-hmm. what they decided to do is to invest in things outside of, you know, their, their, um, their core business. Because if you actually look at it over the last 10 years, there's actually no differential between any of the mobile providers, you know, yeah. all, the data plans, you know, back in the day, it was like everybody was on O2 because I'm um, on one-to-one because, you know, you get free calls, free calls to call your friends. Or, but yeah. this day, they're all exactly the same, right? Yeah. So that investment that they made in culture, has actually led them to be embedded in, in hip hop culture. I mean, Drake's Canadian, right? Yeah. And he was able to reference them. So those are the kind of brands that have kind of done it well, either accidentally or one mm-hmm. way or the other. But I also like to look at brands in our own community mm-hmm. who, who are kind of doing a, a really good job with that. Um, you know, like Rock Nation, mm-hmm. for example. Um, I think they're doing a great job. Um, you know, also in the UK. Um, I, I look at some, some of the stuff that Stormzy's doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the murky books and so forth. I think we need more brands that are unapologetically black, black, right? Black British. Yeah. We need a yeah. lot more. We need a lot more because our influence is actually massive, right? And I yeah. think this is the thing about us not being afraid to actually say that we're proud and what we're building for. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, not just to plug you, but I love exactly what you guys are doing as well. With treasure Thank chest, you. you know, I'm trying to say it because you understand the problem that your customers are facing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're very, uh, unapologetic of who your target audience is mm-hmm. and you're going and aiming to deliver the best possible service to them. And it's, and the thing is, you're not just, you know, providing a, a subscription box, you're providing events, you're providing an experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, but those are very, those are like very, um, nuanced experiences that you want to provide for your audience because you care about them right? right and these things you will find my my belief is that when you have that level of care and attention for your audience you have that drake effect 
right? Yes. Where somebody can mention you in a song that becomes legacy for mm-hmm. years. And the reason I refer back to that, actually, so my, my family is originally from Congo, right? And the way artists used to make money in Congo is to mm. get brands and people to give them money to get shout outs on songs, right? Mm. So I always thought when I came to Britain, why don't more artists do that? Because they have such a great reach, right? Um, but a lot of brands that do get mentioned in songs are brands who've consistently delivered value to the community or perceived mm-hmm. to deliver value, right? Um, so yeah, so that, I hope I've answered, sort of answered your questions. I think the main thing around it is um, if you're authentic to your audience and people value you, I mean, word of mouth is still the best form of marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think if you if, if the culture sort of decides and, and agrees that you're for them, there is that legacy that's going to come from just being a reference point within that community. Mm-hmm. I love everything that you said. And I feel like I always feel so excited when I'm talking to you yeah, sure. because it's also, it's always a great signal of where marketing's going. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that I think about so much and something that I actually intentionally made a decision to change in Treasure Trust quite early on mm-hmm. was making sure that we were never just a subscription box and that we were a lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. And as you was talking, I was like, can we just use culture interchangeably with lifestyle brands? Because it seems like we pretty much can. Like O2 are effectively now an, a lifestyle brand because there's the O2 arena. Exactly. Um, as you said, Stormzy is not just a rapper. So he's not just one brand. He's now in literature mm-hmm. and various other things. So I think it's really key. And I think what's so important for brands when they're brand building mm-hmm. is to consider the fact that you cannot just sell a product or a service. You have to provide an experience and a lifestyle. Yes for your consumer in order for them to stay loyal or even just pay attention in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the books that has definitely shaped me this year, which you recommended was Talent of America, mm-hmm. which put so many things in perspective. And then shortly after I read the memoir of Dapper Dan, yes. which made me think like, wow, like culture has such an impact mm-hmm. and can be transformational for personal brands and for the brands that you're building as mm-hmm. far as businesses. And it's just about how knowing how to use it best. But a lot of the time it seems accidental. Mm-hmm. So in Tanning of America, the Run DMC example was kind of intentional, but kind of not. I feel like it was by chance that the marketing director was able to go to Madison Square Gardens and listen to their concert. And even with Dapper Dan, like it was kind of coincidental that um, Gucci were able to join him and make a partnership. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking about how can we more strategically use data, mm-hmm. use culture to actually approach brands and make things happen that we want to happen rather than waiting for the brands to take notice of how much impact we have and mm-hmm. then approach us. Yeah. And then when they, and then when we do have those conversations, how can we make sure the price is right? Yes. Because a lot of the time we're undersold. Yes. hundred percent. I think the answer to that is data. So mm. I think the challenge we have is particularly in our community, you know, and particularly any subculture or in any culture, you have the gut feeling or you have an understanding of trends mm-hmm. of what's happening. That's very yeah. nuanced to you. Yeah. Now, in order to convince somebody who's not part of that culture, they would usually ask for numbers, right? Because they'll like, they'll be like, look, okay, I understand what you mean, but where, where are the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. We need to make a business decision. I think the data has been the missing part in most cases. So for example, Telling of America for me was an amazing book because I read it and I was always, and Andy, my, my friends would, you know, would, would, would uh, detect, uh, attest this is that we all knew how powerful the culture was in terms mm-hmm. of like, even in the UK, like I was seeing like, you know, Sway, you know, um, um, 
Skepta's brother, I forget his name. Um, Jelly. Mm. During the MySpace stage, the guy mm. was, he was literally a, like one of the first music celebrities, right? But what was happening is a lot of brands started to place, you know, give them free clothes and free trainers and all this kind of stuff. And I just knew from there on in is that, look, there is something here about our culture. Like we're just like being trendsetters and so forth. Um, but I just didn't know how to articulate it. And it wasn't until I read The Telling of America, it just made me realize actually they're doing it at a much larger scale, right? It's going to happen in the UK in due time, right? Um, and it just weren't enough data points to actually prove it yeah. up front, right? But now there's no denying, right? Hip hop is the most streamed genre in the world and has been since 2017. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and what's interesting about streaming as well is streaming measures behavior. It doesn't necessarily measure what I call purchased success. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're signed to a label and the label puts 10 million behind you and gets you on radio one, yes, you're going to, you're going to get number one. You're going to sell a million records. But what happens once the album's out? How many people are actually effectively listening to it? Right. There's people to this day, to this day, still listening to Dizzy Rascal's first album. They're still listening to Jay Z or, or Nas and whatever. And what streaming exposed is that hip hop as a genre, people are still listening to that music. Everyone has their favorite Tupac song, their go-to song. You know, you could be from another culture, but when you go to the gym, you need, you might need that upbeat Rick Ross kind of, you know, song like, and that's what hip hop does. It, it just had, it has, it, it has, it, it fits in different parts of people's lives, right? Um, and what streaming exposed is effectively that is that, you know, as a culture or as a genre, people were actively listening to, to this music. Even unsigned artists are getting like a million streams, right? Um, but if you only looked at it based on record sales, you would assume that the genre wasn't doing so well because mm-hmm. record labels were effectively putting money behind them. So, to answer the question is this is where data becomes really valuable because now you can say, I know this trend to be true. So for example, I mentioned protective styles. Mm-hmm. I can effectively go on Google right now and, and show you a trend that in particular parts of the world is a peak for searches for protective styles, mm-hmm. right? Um, or, and then I can tie that back into the cultural context of yourself or my wife being able to say, look, this is why we're doing this. Um, this is why people are searching this. Mm-hmm. So I think as a community, we really need to start looking at how can we capture data? Um, even if we can't understand it, just make sure we're capturing it because later down the line, you can get someone, someone who actually understands it to be able to show you the trends that, you know, this is, this is growing or this isn't growing. So to answer the question, I think, yes, we've got the culture. Like I said, it's not for sale. Um, and so we should never have to worry about, you know, personally, my views that ever losing that mm-hmm. because it's deeper than just, you know, the UK, or whatever. There's, there is a connection around the diaspora. That, yeah. That, you know, you can go every part of the world. We, and that's what I love about it's just to sort of go off on a tangent. That's what I love about Afrobeats because mm. Afrobeats borrows from every single, it's got a bit of reggae in there. Yeah. I it's mean, got a bit of, when it first came out, I was like, what am I listening to? Am yeah. I listening to Bashman? Or am exactly. I listening you know, to, it's, yeah. For me, it's almost like it's done like that, that you know, that, 360 ways come back to, to, to the core, right? Yeah. So for me, that shows that there are certain nuances and certain things that you just can't buy. So we've got that. We don't need to worry about culture. Mm-hmm. But if we get the data part sorted, we can effectively, I, we can choose who we strategically partner with. Absolutely. Because we're not going to sit on the table and just say, okay, we need your money. It's actually, okay, we've got the data. Like, how are you going to partner up with us to make us take this to the next level? Or mm-hmm. actually, how could we? 
fund this ourselves because we know it's growing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the data is, is the missing part. And, and it's not just in our community. Uh, data is, it's a very new, um, industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the likes of Facebook and Google are struggling to employ data specialists, you know, fast enough, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a industry wide issue. But I think, um, for those people in our community who have an understanding of that, I think it's a great opportunity to, um, you know, to bring that skill set back into into the culture and being able to help tie that 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 narrative between data and culture. Love it. Um, and when you say data points, you said that the thing that we need to get better at is capturing data points. Yeah. Where the hell do we start? So, and I think the example I was trying to give earlier, you know, most businesses are online, right? Yeah. So the easiest thing you can do is install Google Analytics. Mm-hmm. There's Facebook Pixel. There's all of these different platforms which. You know, they're, they're pretty easy to install. You can go online and find out how to do it. Um, and what these things are effectively doing, they're just measuring activity on your site, mm-hmm. right? So they're measuring how many people have come onto your site. They're measuring how many people have gone to these pages and so forth. Well, I always advise businesses at the point of launch is to make sure those things are installed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's also free information out there around, you know, Google Trends. There's, you know, Facebook audiences, all of these data that exists to kind of help you validate your audience or validate your idea and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of information out there, but it's also about knowing what you're looking for mm-hmm. um, because there is an answer out there. Um, but my, my, my main thing is, yeah, with your, with your website, just make sure you've got the right thing installed um, the right applications installed. So Google Analytics is the main one. I mean, that's the basic, right? Just get that installed. Yeah. And then, um, and then, yeah, just, just track, you know, last month you got 10,000 viewers. Okay. This time last year, how many viewers did we have at mm-hmm. that point? Are we, are we growing or are we just, just so you can start to inf- to have a bit of evidence in, yeah. in your decision making of how you're essentially growing your business? I feel like it helps you to think strategically about things as well, because yeah. I think the missing piece to a lot of black businesses mm-hmm. is like the infrastructure. Yeah. I don't feel like there's infrastructure in place. So I see people getting carried away, starting Instagram pages, mm-hmm. YouTube channels, reaching out to influencers. But have you got your account in, in place? Yeah. Have you got Google Analytics, Facebook Pixel? Um, do you know what you're looking for? Your marketing campaigns, are they running between defined months so that you can actually see where the trends are? Mm-hmm. Are you taking into account when public holidays are? Exactly. Um, so on and so forth. Um, and I think it just helps you speak the language of your consumer as well. Mm-hmm. So yesterday I done a talk um, in Birmingham on customer advocacy mm-hmm. and how to make your customers your brand advocates. Mm-hmm. And on the closing slide, I use my Google Analytics <laughs> and I basically shared that we know that 59.28% of our um, subscribers and people who visit our website are iPhone users. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice that the marketing campaign for this year's pop-up shop is framed around the iPhone. Mm-hmm. So we've got the airdrop icon as one of the promotional things. We've got the calendar, we've mm-hmm. got the reminder alerts based around iPhone. So I think that even using data in marketing, which is obviously the place where it's probably most useful, mm-hmm. is amazing just for making sure that you you show your customer that you understand them and you speak a language that they understand um, while also making you seem like such a cutting edge brand because you just know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And as you said, it's hard to replicate because mm-hmm. every brand is different. So there could be a brand that pops up tomorrow and is looks identical, mm-hmm. but likely their data will be different. Mm-hmm. What they do with their data will be different, which means that the way they communicate will be different as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that 
data is definitely undervalued, mm-hmm. but I think it should be up there on like the top 10 things to have when you're starting a business that you actually want to grow definitely. and you want to grow strategically. Yeah. So you've recently launched Translate Culture. Yes. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. So, so it's effectively, we're a data and, and marketing agency um, focused on helping businesses leverage data and culture. So mm-hmm. w- with, with that, it's, like I mentioned, it's, there's a lot of data out there, you know, trends and so forth. Um, what we try to do is work closely with founders to actually understand what they know, mm-hmm. how that's replicated in, in what the, the market is saying. Right? Yeah. So with a lot of founders I work with, you know, after I've done the data analysis, they know 90 to 95% of the stuff. It's almost kind of like validates that their gut feeling was right. Right. Yeah. And that's what you find with data. Like a lot of it is just most times will confirm what you already know, particularly if you're already a successful business, that mm-hmm. you're doing something right. Right. Mm. So, but where we add value is that, that five to 10% where the founder may not necessarily be aware of. Right. So this is a particular audience that the founder may not have been aware of, right? Yeah. For example, or a particular platform that's come out where we're saying, well, the behavior that people are showing on your platform is very similar to the behavior here. Have you considered doing this or considered doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if it, there's something you just touched on earlier about customer advocacy, right? Our main goal is effectively to get to the, to help businesses get to the point of retention and referrals as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. right? Um, because the most cost-effective marketing is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we don't just see ourselves as doing great marketing campaigns. We also help people create better products. So we tell you what's working. Um, and then we use that as a way to communicate to people, um, you know, what is working and, and, you know, how similar people like you are using this product. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of taken a bit of a product, um, management and, um, marketing approach to, 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 to it. So it's, it's almost kind of like, learning with with the founder right mm-hmm. and 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 the, and the business people um and that's what really differentiates us because my background is is in marketing and data but i've also done product management mm-hmm. um particularly i like working with founders who are like lifelong learners as in mm-hmm. they they effectively they care about that audience so much that as you touched on it where you know subscription box is, is effectively what you validated as a as a solution mm-hmm. but you might learn 10 years down the line that you need to do, you need to create an, an airline like random i'm just picking yeah. something out there right? I, I used that example yesterday actually i said i thought that the business that i was in was helping women find hair products mm-hmm. but I, what i actually found is that my business is community-based like yeah. my job is to bring women together and yeah. to connect them and educate them there you go. it's not about hair products as much as i thought it was there you go. so yeah 100 percent with you on that one yeah so there's this so there's that so sometimes when, and it's about looking at the data and looking at the feedback and being able to say to the guys actually marketing is actually a good way for you to communicate to your customers, right? If you're running a particular ad campaign, it's not working. Let's hypothesize why it isn't working. Have you actually thought about speaking to your customers and working out why and so forth? And that's a great thing that you guys do as part of your stuff. You capture a lot of feedback, which is great. But effectively, that's where it becomes where founders need to also learn that, you know, we never have the 100% answer. So use marketing as a, as a way to, to learn about your customers because effectively what you want is you don't want to pay for acquisition. You don't want to mm-hmm. be doing paid ads and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Most of our clients, we do paid ads with them to effectively um, get their message in front of their customers as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. But then it's all about the experience because if the customer has an amazing experience and they're the right customer, mm-hmm. they become your channel. 
they become the referral, which is what every brand is trying to get to. And if we go back to the O2 situation, you know, and Nike and all this kind of stuff, like, you know, like all these brands are like in our community, we, we respect these brands because people in our community have had good experiences with them, right? You know, mm-hmm. this rapper's talking about, you know, the Jordans as well. So I go and get it. Or my big brother like had the Jordans, so I go get it. That's like zero pounds acquisition, right? Um, so to answer your question, yeah. So what we do is we, we, we don't just look at the data. We look at, um, what's happening in, in culture. So like, you know, within your, your target audience, what problems are you trying to solve for that target audience? So even when we're communicating in the ad campaign or whatever, it's we're effectively answering a question about how you as a business are solving that problem. And we found that those things work really well. Um, so it's that five to 10% where we're able to look at, um, that work called the blind side that maybe founders may not have mm. by not having a full understanding of, of the data and, and the cultural trends. Cool. And give me some examples. So I know one of your clients is Bespoke Binny. Yeah. And I know that you guys have done transformational work for them. So mm. tell me a bit about that and like maybe some of the observations that you've learned and key takeaways that you think our listeners could benefit from. Sure. Um, so Bespoke Binny happens to be my wife. <laughs> um, what was really interesting with that is, um, so she had a, an Etsy store. So she was selling African print um, um, homeware. Um, what I noticed is obviously after three years, she'd been running a store. Um, and typically, you know, when you're doing something as a hobby, your pricing is probably a little bit over the place. You're kind of just putting stuff out there, testing the market. So what I was able to do is actually look at all the activities that she was doing. So she had like, she would go to like African markets and do those stalls, but she was also selling on Etsy. Um, but what was really interesting about that is we was able to look at which events were, were successful. Mm-hmm. So this is looking at, okay, how much have you paid for the stand? Mm-hmm. Um, how much money have you made? Um, and also like how much marketing did you spend to, to get that? So then that kind of improved the selection of which events you would go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been instances where, you know, we'll essentially run what they call an A-B test. Yeah. It, um, so there'll be two events going on on the same day. We'll go to both of them and then look at which one converted well on the basis that next year you may not go to that event because it hasn't worked well and so forth. So it's all about optimization, right? Keep getting better. But the main thing was really around um, the digital transformation, which was around, um, so yeah, the pricing was all over the place. So I did some analysis and I worked out that some products were loss makers, but they were good because a lot of people were buying it because they were cheap. So it's almost like, okay, that's how people kind of get introduced to the brand. Mm. But there were some products which were um, were highly profitable, which is worth, you know, doing more of some products. And there were some products that were just massive loss makers that it just wasn't worth making it and what 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 you do there is you look at the cost of of it, how much it's costing and time it's costing to make that product and also what customers are willing to pay when i say what customers are willing to pay is about looking at three years worth of data and even when you've done sales and so forth what are people effectively pay for that product mm-hmm. right and then trying to what you're trying to do is you're trying to get to the point where if you made this product 10 pounds more or 10 pounds less are people more or less likely to buy so we improved the pricing strategy based on that so with most products we had to actually increase the price mm-hmm. and what i think what a lot of people also seem to forget is that you don't necessarily have to undervalue yourself because if your customers love your product, they'll pay the price mm-hmm. that is required. Right. Okay. And I think a lot of people, when they start as a hobby, they're not too sure. And it might be that, you know, that a bit of like imposter syndrome, will people pay for this? Sometimes it's better to overcharge and be brought down than to, to, to start. Cause if you're not making a profit, there's, there's no way around that. So, mm-hmm. so I was able to help with the pricing, 
And then also I created a Shopify store. So created our own um, store mainly to be able to capture data so we can actually see what products are selling, where people are dropping off and all that type of stuff because Etsy and marketplaces don't necessarily give you that insight. But since then, with all these different strategies, she's been able to grow 100% every year. Um, so yeah, she just, she's just doing really well with very little marketing. A lot of it is like SEO and all that type of stuff and, um, and people just discovering her. Um, but the main thing was making sure you get the price right. But what was really interesting thing that we actually did was the photography. The biggest investment we've made. The photography is beautiful. Yeah. And that was the biggest investment we've made was on photography because mm-hmm. we actually realized and you've also, this is the thing about thinking, you have to put the customer first. You have to think yeah. about the cost. How does the customer make a decision to purchase a home web product? They have to see it in their home, right? Mm-hmm. So we noticed that, um, with most of the customers, um, you know, they needed to see the product in a home. So we paid good money to get really good photography, um, and Scandinavian, Scandi sort of thing was in. So mm. we kind of chose to position it as a African print in a Scandi environment. And we actually run some A-B tests where we kept some old pictures and mm. some new ones and the new ones kept selling. So, um, yeah, so and it's, it goes back to this thing about everything is worth testing. Um, and you find that the thing that is giving you the advantage, um, maybe something that you may have not considered before. So it could be photography, it could be packaging, right? So like one of the things we also do is um, when you buy the product, there's a little African wisdom book that customers get, mm. right? And everybody, like every other month, somebody takes a picture of that and says, oh my God, I got this really nice little African wisdom book, right? Mm. And that that's marketing again. That's, Absolutely. You then use that to then, you know, promote it to other people. Um, uh, another investment we made is in, in shipping. So we made sure that we do two day shipping anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, that, that works. But all of these activities are about how do we get to retention and referral as soon as possible? Because we could have put all that money into Facebook ads mm-hmm. and really had a really bad experience, mm-hmm. which means we would end up losing people. So half of it, um, is about how do you effectively allocate budgets across marketing and actually the experience? Because a lot of people seem to forget. Uh, Marketing originally, right, or at the core is the four P's, right? Mm-hmm. Product, pricing, place, and promotion. But what people seem to forget is if you ask the average person on the street what is marketing, they'll tell you promotion. It's about advertising, it's mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Marketing was meant to be the voice of the customer. And I think we've kind of dropped the ball with that because the focus has been on how do I get in front of as many people as possible. But the brands that win are effectively the brands that are able to listen to the customers and feed that back into the product development and the mm-hmm. delivery process. And that's what we was able to do. And, and, that's, and that's effectively what I, I, tried, I tend to do with most of my clients. Amazing. And how often should we be looking at this? So I know that Google Analytics is amazing and it can generate like a daily report, a weekly, monthly, whatever you like. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend for startup founders, entrepreneurs, marketing managers? Like how often should we be checking these analytics mm-hmm. or these data points to check? how we're doing, if we're doing, if what we're doing is effective mm-hmm. and just to stay ahead of the curve. I think it depends on, on the brand. Um, I would always advise at least monthly, mm-hmm. just month, a month is a, is a good time frame for a lot of things to happen. Um, and a month sits well in terms of measuring, measuring seasonality. So you could look at this January, our traffic is up or down versus last year, January day to day is not a good indicator because random things can happen yeah. today. So I'll say month, um, is a, is a good starting point. Um, and yeah. And then just thinking about and, and maybe challenging 
conversations within the business using data. So, you know, someone could say we should do this and you can say, well, the data actually suggests this, right? And it's that happened to, to me. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> so we're thinking of topics for the panels yeah. for the pop-up shop. I know we've discussed a few already and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what are we going to do? Um, I was like, personally, I don't think we should do any hair care t- panels because mm-hmm. everyone already knows. Like, surely they already know. We send out newsletters, mm-hmm. Instagram posts, information booklets. And then I was like, but to be fair, I'm not going to assume. Let's, let's do a poll. Mm-hmm. We done a poll and it was like 70% of people were coming to the pop-up shop to learn about hair care. There you go. And I was like, well, there you go. I have to talk about hair care now, don't I? Exactly. So yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I think Steve starts with it perfectly as far as having a dialogue rather than a monologue. So exactly. I think that's what marketing does and is about. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your cool. time, Liz. That you. was perfect timing. Thank you. And um, where can we find out more about Translate Culture and keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, so um, the website is www.translateculture.co. Um, so yeah, that's probably where most of the stuff will be. Um, I will be doing some more stuff on LinkedIn. Um, so you can look for me on LinkedIn at Mazibu Minima. I think I'm the only one in the world. Uh, <laughs> I'll be surprised if there's others. But um, the main, yeah, main, main point of reference is translateculture.co. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me. Cheers. Thank you. TT turns four in November. Make sure you join us on the 22nd to the 24th of November to have a chance to build your own box with five products from your favourite brands for £25 or cheaper. If you buy your ticket now on Eventbrite, bigger venue, more DJs, more free beauty treatments, more brands, panels, and of course, an even more enjoyable experience than last year. Follow us on Instagram. Link is in our bio for the tickets.